Section 32 of Thrilling Narratives of Mutiny, Murder, and Piracy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Philip Gould. Thrilling Narratives of Mutiny, Murder, and Piracy by Anonymous. Chapter 32. Adventures of Philip Ashton, who, after escaping from pirates, lived sixteen months in solitude on a desolate island. Part two. While passing nine months in this lonely, melancholy, and irksome condition, my thoughts would sometimes wander to my parents, and I reflected that, notwithstanding it would be consolatory to myself if they knew where I was, it might be distressing to them. The nearer my prospect of death, which I often expected, the greater my penitence became. Sometime in November 1723 I decried a small canoe approaching with a single man, but the sight excited little emotion. I kept my seat on the beach, thinking I could not expect a friend, and knowing that I had no enemy to fear, nor was I capable of resisting one. As the man approached, he betrayed many signs of surprise. He called me to him, and I told him he might safely venture ashore, for I was alone and almost expiring. Coming close up, he knew not what to make of me. My garb and countenance seemed so singular that he looked wild with astonishment. He started back a little, and surveyed me more thoroughly, but recovering himself again came forward, and taking me by the hand expressed his satisfaction at seeing me. This stranger proved to be a native of North Britain. He was well advanced in years, of a grave and venerable aspect, and of a reserved temper. His name I never knew. He did not disclose it, and I had not inquired during the period of our acquaintance. But he informed me he had lived twenty-two years with the Spaniards who now threatened to burn him, though I know not for what crime. Therefore he had fled hither as a sanctuary, bringing his dog, gun, and ammunition, as also a small quantity of pork along with him. He designed spending the remainder of his days on the island where he could support himself by hunting. I experienced much kindness from the stranger. He was always ready to perform any civil offices and assist me in whatever he could, though he spoke little, and he gave me a share of his pork. On the third day after his arrival, he said he would make an excursion in his canoe among the neighboring islands for the purpose of killing wild hogs and deer, and wished me to accompany him. Though my spirits were somewhat recruited by his society, the benefit of the fire which I now enjoyed, and dressed provisions, my weakness and the soreness of my feet precluded me. Therefore he set out alone, saying he would return in a few hours. The sky was serene, and there was no prospect of any danger during a short excursion, seeing he had come nearly twelve leagues in safety in his canoe. But when he had been absent about an hour, a violent gust of wind and rain arose, in which he probably perished, as I never heard of him more. Thus, after having the pleasure of a companion almost three days, I was as unexpectedly reduced to my former lonely state as I had been relieved from it. Yet through the goodness of God I was myself preserved from having been unable to accompany him, and I was left in better circumstances than those in which he had found me, for now I had about five pounds of pork, a knife, a bottle of gunpowder, tobacco, tongs, and flint, by which means my life could be rendered more comfortable. I was enabled to have fire, 
extremely requisite at this time being the rainy months of winter i could cut up a tortoise and have a delicate broiled meal thus by the help of the fire and dressed provisions through the blessings of god i began to recover strength though the soreness of my feet remained but i had besides the advantage of being able now and then to catch a dish of crayfish which when roasted proved good eating to accomplish this i made up a small bundle of old broken sticks nearly resembling pitch pine or candlewood and having lighted one end waited with it in my hand up to the waist in water the crayfish attracted by the light would crawl to my feet and lie directly under it when by means of a forked stick i could toss them ashore between two and three months after the time of losing my companion i found a small canoe while ranging along the shore the sight of it revived my regret for his loss for i judged that it had been his canoe and from being washed up here a certain proof of his having been lost in the tempest but on examining it more closely i satisfied myself that it was one which i had never seen before master of this little vessel i began to think myself admiral of the neighboring seas as well as sole possessor and chief commander of the islands profiting by its use i could transport myself to the places of retreat more conveniently than by my former expedient of swimming in process of time i projected an excursion to some of the larger and more distant islands partly to learn how they were stored or inhabited and partly for the sake of amusement laying in a small stock of figs and grapes therefore as also some tortoise to eat and carrying my implements for fire i put off to steer for the island of bornaco which is about four or five leagues long and situated five or six from roatan in the course of the voyage observing a sloop at the east end of the island i made the best of my way to the west designing to travel down by land both because a point of rocks ran far into the sea beyond which i did not care to venture in the canoe as was necessary to come ahead of the sloop and because i wished to ascertain something concerning her people before i was discovered even in my worst circumstances i never could brook the thoughts of returning on board of any piratical vessel and resolved rather to live and die in my present situation hauling up the canoe and making it fast as well as i was able i set out on the journey my feet were yet in such a state that two days and the best part of two nights were occupied in it sometimes the woods and bushes were so thick that it was necessary to crawl half a mile together on my hands and knees which rendered my progress very slow when within a mile or two of the place where i supposed the sloop might be i made for the waterside and approached the sea gradually that i might not too soon disclose myself to view however on reaching the beach there was no appearance of the sloop whence i judged that she had sailed during the time spent by me in travelling being much fatigued with the journey i rested myself against the stump of a tree with my face towards the sea where sleep overpowered me but i had not slumbered long before i was suddenly awakened by the noise of firing starting up in a fright i saw nine periaguas or large canoes full of men firing upon me from the sea whence i soon turned about and ran amongst the bushes as fast as my sore feet would allow while the men who were spaniards cried after me o oh, englishmen we will give you good quarter however my astonishment was so great and i was so suddenly roused from my sleep that i had no self-command to listen to their offers of quarter 
which it may be at another time, in my cooler moments, I might have done. Thus I made into the woods, and the strangers continued firing after me to the number of a hundred and fifty bullets at least, many of which cut small twigs off the bushes close by my side. Having gained an extensive thicket beyond reach of the shot, I lay close several hours until observing, by the sound of their oars, that the Spaniards were departing. I crept out. I saw the sloop under English colors sailing away with the canoes in tow, which induced me to suppose she was an English vessel which had been at the Bay of Honduras, and taken there by the Spaniards. Next day I returned to the tree where I had been so nearly surprised, and was astonished to find six or seven shot in the trunk within a foot or less of my head. Yet through the wonderful goodness of God, though having been as a mark to shoot at, I was preserved. After this I travelled to recover my canoe at the western end of the island, which I reached in three days, but suffering severely from the soreness of my feet and the scantiness of provisions. This island is not so plentifully stored as Roatan, so that during the five or six days of my residence I had difficulty in procuring subsistence, and the insects were, besides, infinitely more numerous and harassing than at my old habitation. These circumstances deterred me from further exploring the island, and having reached the canoe very tired and exhausted, I put off for Roatan, which was a royal palace to me compared with Bonaco, and arrived at night in safety. Here I lived, if it may be called living, alone for about seven months after losing my North British companion. My time was spent in the usual manner, hunting for food and ranging among the islands. Sometime in June 1724, while on the small quay, whither I often retreated to be free from the annoyance of insects, I saw two canoes making for the harbour. Approaching nearer, they observed the smoke of a fire which I had kindled, and at a loss to know what it meant, they hesitated on advancing. What I had experienced at Bonaco was still fresh in my own memory, and loath to run the risk of such another firing, I withdrew to my canoe, lying behind the quay, not above one hundred yards distance, and immediately rode over to Roatan. There I had places of safety against an enemy, and sufficient accommodation for any ordinary number of friends. The people in the canoes observed me cross the sea to Roatan, the passage not exceeding a gunshot over, and being as much afraid of pirates as I was of Spaniards, approached very cautiously towards the shore. I then came down to the beach, showing myself openly, for their conduct led me to think that they could not be pirates, and I resolved before being exposed to the danger of their shot to inquire who they were. If they proved such as I did not like, I could easily retire. But before I spoke, they, as full of apprehension as I could be, lay on their oars and demanded who I was and from whence I came, to which I replied that I was an Englishman and had run away from pirates. On this they drew somewhat nearer, inquiring who was there besides myself, when I assured them in return that I was alone. Next, according to my original purpose, having put similar questions to them, they said they had come from the Bay of Honduras. Their words encouraged me to bid them row ashore, which they accordingly did, though at some distance, and one man landed, whom I advanced to meet but he started back at the sight of a poor, ragged, wild, forlorn, miserable object so near him. Collecting himself, however, he took me by the hand, and we began embracing each other. 
he from surprise and wonder, and I from a sort of ecstasy of joy. When this was over, he took me in his arms and carried me down to the canoes, when all his comrades were struck with astonishment at my appearance. But they gladly received me, and I experienced great tenderness from them. I gave the strangers a brief account of my escape from Lowe, and my lonely residence for sixteen months, all excepting three days, the hardships I had suffered and the dangers to which I had been exposed. They stood amazed at the recital. They wondered I was alive, and expressed much satisfaction at being able to relieve me. Observing me very weak and depressed, they gave me about a spoonful of rum to recruit my fainting spirits. But even this small quantity, from my long disuse of strong liquors, threw me into violent agitation, and produced a kind of stupor, which at last ended in privation of sense. Some of the party, perceiving a state of insensibility come on, would have administered more rum, which those better skilled among them prevented, and after lying a short time in a fit, I revived. Then I ascertained that the strangers were eighteen in number, the chief of them named John Hope, an old man called Father Hope by his companions, and John Ford, and all belonging to the Bay of Honduras. The cause of their coming hither was an alarm for an attack from the sea by the Spaniards, while the Indians should make a descent by land and cut off the bay. Thus they had fled for safety. On a former occasion the two persons above named had, for the like reason, taken shelter among these islands, and lived four years at a time on a small one named Barbarat, about two leagues from Roatan. There they had two plantations, as they called them, and now they brought two barrels of flour with other provisions, firearms, dogs for hunting and nets for tortoises, and also an Indian woman to dress their provisions. Their principal residence was a small quay, about a quarter of a mile round, lying near to Barbarat, and named by them the Castle of Comfort, chiefly because it was low and clear of woods and bushes, so that the free circulation of wind could drive away the pestiferous mosquitoes and other insects. From hence they sent to the surrounding islands for wood, water, and materials to build two houses, such as they were, for shelter. I now had the prospect of a much more agreeable life than what I had spent during the sixteen months past, for besides having company, the strangers treated me with a great deal of civility in their way. They clothed me, and gave me a large wrapping-gown as a defense against the nightly dews until their houses were erected, and there was plenty of provisions. Yet, after all, they were bad society, and as to their common conversation there was but little difference between them and pirates. However, it did not appear that they were now engaged in any such evil design as rendered it unlawful to join them, or be found in their company. In process of time, and with the assistance afforded by my companions, I gathered so much strength as sometimes to be able to hunt along with them. The islands abounded with wild hogs, deer, and tortoise, and different ones were visited in quest of game. This was brought home where instead of being immediately consumed it was hung up to dry and smoke, so as to be a ready supply at all times. I now considered myself beyond the reach of danger from an enemy, for independent of supposing that nothing could bring any one here, I was surrounded by a number of men with arms constantly in their hands. Yet at the very time that I thought myself most secure, I was very nearly again falling into the hands of pirates. 
Six or seven months after the strangers joined me, three of them, along with myself, took a four-oared canoe for the purpose of hunting and killing tortoise on Bonaco. During our absence, the rest repaired their canoes and prepared to go over to the Bay of Honduras to examine how matters stood there and bring off their remaining effects, in case it were dangerous to return. But before they had departed, we were on our voyage homewards, having a full load of pork and tortoise, as our object was successfully accomplished. While entering the mouth of the harbour, in a moonlight evening, we saw a great flash and heard a report much louder than that of a musket proceed from a large periagua, which we observed near the Castle of Comfort. This put us in extreme consternation, and we knew not what to consider, but in a minute we heard a volley from eighteen or twenty small arms discharged towards the shore, and also some returned from it. Satisfied that an enemy, either Spaniards or pirates, was attacking our people, and being intercepted from them by periaguas lying between us and the shore, we thought the safest plan was trying to escape. Therefore, taking down our little mast and sail that they might not betray us, we rowed out of the harbour as fast as possible towards an island about a mile and a half distant to retreat undiscovered. But the enemy, either having seen us before lowering our sail, or heard the noise of the oars, followed with all speed in an eight or ten oared periagua. Observing her approach and fast gaining on us, we rowed with all our might to make the nearest shore. However, she was at length enabled to discharge a swivel, the shot from which passed over our canoe. Nevertheless, we contrived to reach the shore before being completely within the range of small arms which our pursuers discharged on us while landing. They were now near enough to cry aloud that they were pirates and not Spaniards, and that we need not dread them as we should get good quarter, thence supposing that we should be the easier induced to surrender. Yet nothing could have been said to discourage me more from putting myself in their power. I had the utmost dread of a pirate, and my original aversion was now enhanced by the apprehension of being sacrificed for my former desertion. Thus concluding to keep as clear of them as I could, and the Honduras Bay men having no great inclination to do otherwise, we made the best of our way to the woods. Our pursuers carried off the canoe with all its contents, resolving, if we would not go to them, to deprive us, as far as possible, of all means of subsistence where we were. But it gave me, who had known both want and solitude, little concern now that I had company, and there were arms among us to procure provision, and also fire wherewith to dress it. Our assailants were some men belonging to Spriggs, my former commander, who had thrown off his allegiance to Lowe and set up for himself at the head of a gang of pirates, with a good ship of twenty-four guns and a sloop of twelve, both presently lying in Roatan Harbour. He had put in for fresh water and to refit at the place where I first escaped, and having discovered my companions at the small island of their retreat, sent a periagua full of men to take them. Accordingly they carried all ashore, as also a child and an Indian woman, the last of whom they shamefully abused. They killed a man after landing and throwing him into one of the canoes containing tar, set it on fire and burnt his body in it. Then they carried the people on board of their vessels where they were barbarously treated. One of them turned pirate, however, and told the others that John Hope had hid many things in the woods, Therefore they beat him unmercifully to make him disclose his treasure, 
which they carried off with him. After the pirates had kept these people five days on board of their vessels, they gave them a flat of five or six tons to carry them to the Bay of Honduras, but no kind of provision for the voyage, and further before dismissal compelled them to swear that they would not come near me and my party who had escaped to another island. While the vessels rode in the harbor we kept a good lookout, but were exposed to some difficulties from not daring to kindle a fire to dress our victuals, lest our residence should be betrayed. Thus we lived for five days on raw provisions. As soon as they sailed, however, Hope, little regarding the oath extorted from him, came and informed us of what had passed, and I could not for my own part be sufficiently grateful to Providence for escaping the hands of the pirates, who would have put me to a cruel death. Hope and all his people except John Simons now resolved to make their way to the bay. Simons, who had a negro, wished to remain some time for the purpose of trading with the Jamaica men on the main. But thinking my best chance of getting to New England was from the Bay of Honduras, I requested Hope to take me with him. The old man, though he would gladly have done so, advanced many objections, such as the insufficiency of the flat to carry so many men seventy leagues, that they had no provision for the passage which might be tedious, and the flat was, besides ill-calculated to stand the sea, as also that it was uncertain how matters might turn out at the bay. Thus he thought it better for me to remain, yet rather than I should be in solitude he would take me in. Simons, on the other hand, urged me to stay and bear him company, and gave several reasons why I should more likely obtain a passage from the Jamaica men to New England than by the Bay of Honduras. As this seemed a fairer prospect of reaching my home, which I was extremely anxious to do, I ascended, and having thanked Hope and his companions for their civilities, I took leave of them, and they departed. Simons was provided with a canoe, firearms, and two dogs in addition to his negro, by which means he felt confident of being able to provide all that was necessary for our subsistence. We spent two or three months after the usual manner, ranging from island to island, but the prevalence of the winter rains precluded us from obtaining more game than we required. When the season for the Jamaica traders approached, Simons proposed repairing to some other island to obtain a quantity of tortoise-shell, which he could exchange for clothes and shoes, and being successful in this respect, we next proceeded to Banaco, which lies nearer the main that we might thence take a favorable opportunity to run over. Having been a short time at Banaco, a furious tempest arose and continued for three days, when we saw several vessels standing in for the harbor. The largest of them anchored at a great distance, but a brigantine came over the shoals opposite to the watering-place, and sent her boat ashore with casks. Recognizing three people who were in the boat, their dress and appearance for Englishmen, I concluded they were friends, and showed myself openly on the beach before them. They ceased rowing immediately on observing me, and after answering their inquiries of who I was, I put the same questions saying they might come ashore with safety. They did so, and a happy meeting it was for me. I now found that the vessels were a fleet under convoy of the Diamond Man-of-War, bound for Jamaica, but many ships had parted company in the storm. The Diamond had sent in the brigantine to get water here, as the sickness of her crew had occasioned a great consumption of that necessary article. Simons, who had kept at a distance, lest the three men might hesitate to come ashore, 
at length approached to participate in my joy, though at the same time testifying considerable reluctance at the prospect of my leaving him. The brigantine was commanded by Captain Dove, with whom I was acquainted, and she belonged to Salem within three miles of my father's house. Captain Dove not only treated me with great civility, and engaged to give me a passage home, but took me into pay, having lost a seaman, whose place he wanted me to supply. Next day the diamond having sent her longboat with casks for water, they were filled, and after taking leave of Simons, who shed tears at parting, I was carried on board of the brigantine. We sailed along with the diamond, which was bound for Jamaica on the latter end of March 1725, and kept company until the 1st of April. By the providence of heaven we passed safely through the Gulf of Florida, and reached Salem Harbor on the 1st of May, two years, ten months, and fifteen days after I was first taken by pirates, and two years and two months after making my escape from them on Roatan Island. That same evening I went to my father's house, where I was received as one risen from the dead. End of section 32 Recording by Philip Gould